Hello again, everyone, and welcome VIP members. I am so honored that you decided to go just a little bit further into this conversation, a little bit deeper into what is horse wisdom and how can we take it out into the world? How can we live it every day? And part of that is the are these bonus interviews that we have with our guests that go a little bit more into depth of, around how do they practice what they practice? How do they live the horse wisdom in their practices? So again, I want to welcome Tara Coyote. Coyote, I'm so used to saying Coyote out here in Arizona. Tara Coyote. Um, <laughs> so welcome back. Thank you so much. And I love the way you're saying my name. You can keep saying it that way. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> because they're all around here. So I just kind of went, oh, the coyotes are here. Okay. Keep my kitties inside. <laughs> yeah. So if you could, you spoke and in your book, you talk about the grief rituals. This is something that everyone, I'm sure, can benefit from hearing you talk about from learning from you what that is. We talked a bit about their the reason for them and their potential healing power, but I'd love it if you just describe one of those rituals for us. Sure, sure. Um, like I mentioned before, I did whole day events from 10 to five or so, where there was just a lot of different activities. I'm gonna explain one part of it that Great. anybody can do on their own it's very easy to do it's in the book i mentioned before francis weller's book the wild edge of sorrow it's in my favorite grief book and um, he also leads grief rituals if you wanted to explore the work he does but at the end of the book he gives examples of rituals so there's one ritual it's very simple and i would do it for a few hours or so in my grief rituals where you can gather, like we gathered stones. I would gather stones before the ritual. I lived near the beautiful Yuba River. So we, I would gather stones, sometimes tiny ones, sometimes ones that were as big as the palm of my hand. And I would put them in a big bowl, basically for the participants. And um, then there would be an altar and I would invite participants to create an altar with pictures of their beloved, pictures of their pets, whatever that represents what they were grieving, basically. And um, then there would be a big bowl of water on the altar. And so everybody in the grief ritual, and again, you could do this on your own, and it doesn't have to be fancy. It's very metaphorical. You could do it with your family, you could do it with your friends. I've done it over Zoom, too, with people. It's very effective on Zoom. Um, and so in the group of people, each person would popcorn style, like grab a rock, and say, like, I would grab a rock and say, this stone represents my dear friend, Deb, who died. I think of her every day and I miss her. You know, I could say something more. I might cry. I could be quiet. It, it's very free form. It's however you want it to be. And then I would take the stone and I would put it on the altar in the bowl of water, basically. And the event would go on until people felt like they had spoken all their grief. You know, sometimes it would take an hour and a half, two hours was very powerful. Often there was tears and it would be a little contagious. Like, like if, if somebody mentioned a grief about the environment and climate change, other people would feel it. So it, it was a powerful experience for people to understand that grief is common for everybody. It is not a solo alone experience. 
Um, and so we would do it till people had spoken all their grief or the stones were all gone, basically. We would kind of depend what was happening with the group. And then once we were done, there would be a big bowl of stones with the water in it. And we would take this bowl, we would have a procession down to the pond on the property where I lived and we would pour the water as just like a sacred metaphor of putting the water back onto the earth. We would pour it on the beautiful willow tree that was by my pond. And then we would all just take turns grabbing different rocks and throwing it into the pond with a symbolic gesture of like, we are releasing our grief back to the earth. The earth can take it and the earth can hold it. So um, yeah, like I said, I've done different varieties of this workshop. I taught it in New Zealand at a horse conference for about 40 people. You can, you don't have to use stones. You can use sticks, you know, you can use feathers, you can use leaves. And you could just make it however you want. And um, Francis Weller in his book, he talks about, he suggests people doing it, you know, every month or so, because we live in such an intense time now. There's so much grief that we aren't expressing. And the more we can allow ourselves space to express it, the more we can just feel lighter in our everyday life, so. That's so powerful. I mean, that not only the, the, the ritual itself, but the frequency of it. That makes yeah. so much sense. Now, what role did the horses play in this? Did you always use horses? I don't mean use, did you always invite them into the process or was part of it, you did that and then you spent time with the horses or how did they support this whole thing? Well, with this particular stone ritual, the horses weren't involved. Um, I would do different exercises like one where the horses were involved, another where they weren't. We would kind of go back and forth. So with that one, the horses were off doing their thing. Um, I did do, uh, Linda calls it meet the horses. Mm -hmm. The exercise she teaches were basically, and I talked about this at the beginning, where the horses were in the arena and people would come up. I would do a body scan with them. So it would help them tune into whatever they were repressing in their body or you know, like a sore in their shoulder, and it would just help them tap into the deeper emotions, what was going on. And then they would go out and spend time with the horses while the horses were in the riding arena and the people were outside for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, hour, something like that. It would really be dependent on the group and just being present with the horses. And I would ask people not to talk and just tune into what they were feeling. And um, like I mentioned before, some people would cry and, and then I would have them do some writing afterwards, the process yeah. experience, and then we would get together as a group to talk about it if people wanted to share. So that was uh, one of the big exercises. I it would do some other ones too, but I think those are the easiest ones people can do. And I just support everybody, you know, if you have the ability to be around a horse, whether it's your horse, someone else's horse. Mm -hmm just to go be with them, stand with him or her, not necessarily do anything, but just tune into your breath and just allow whatever wants to come out to come out because that in itself can be very profound just to be with a horse. I agree. I agree completely. I, I can only imagine that um, the, the combination of the metaphorical tactile 
part of the ritual and then the cleansing and actually letting go and then just spending time with the horses either before or after that would just blend so beautifully together for processing to just somatically see okay how different is my body now uh what do i feel differently what do i not feel differently um and also supporting if more needed to come up because i know that a lot of people who i work with and i know linda kohanov says this and many of us do who work with horses uh work with people who are really afraid as we said of their grief of the sadness and they feel if they open it up it's just i don't know they're going to melt that it will never never stop so i can imagine and you tell me if this is in fact what happened in your workshops that it it was um continuous throughout the day if you had this this there was a, a a little opening perhaps or maybe a big one but it was it it needed to have uh more than one instance to yeah. uh process it good and i love that you said it's not a solitary what you call it a solitary uh event no you said something else um, yes, grief can be very isolating, you know, when there is a death that occurs, you feel so alone and like nobody understands you, but it's, I think I said it's not a solitary experience because when you come with a group of people, whether it's like two or three or 10, and you acknowledge I'm feeling grief about this and somebody else says I'm feeling grief about this, it makes you feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, and there is a deep healing that can occur with that process because you come into community together and it's almost like we put our shields down and recognize my gosh we're feeling such a loss with what's happening you know the state of the world the environment right there, there's so much to grieve about basically so it's can be very redeeming and healing just to understand that you are not alone in the process that other people feel it too and that's normal and that's beautiful right bringing it into the light, bringing the darkness into the light. Exactly. There's a quote I just wanted to add in, um, I think it's from West Africa, where a lot of these grief rituals came from at the root of where Francis got his work. There's a very interesting history behind it, but um, he talks about it in his book, but there's a saying that says, if I cry every day, I can laugh every day. And I feel like it's so true. The more we can allow ourselves just to feel our emotions, the more yeah. we yeah. feel joy. But if you're repressing your grief or your sorrow, you're not going to be able to feel the joy because something's holding you back. That's so true. Okay, I feel better about all my tears. <laughs> because i try to feel all of my emotions and and it's just a fact as as i feel that i have learned from you that uh it's something one has to experience and learn about so it's not grief isn't something that there should be any shame around for not knowing how to deal with it uh that it is very healthy and it's not doesn't have to be a negative experience it it is what it is but it's not in that dualistic thing of positive or negative right yeah okay really well said 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm processing myself. I'd lick and chew if I was a horse. <laughs> totally. All right, Tara, thank you again so, so much. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Do you, do you want to talk about your, um, your boundary book? Because I'm sure that uh, boundaries played a big role in this. Yes, I created a free boundaries ebook when um, I was in the depth of my retreat business. It was before I was diagnosed because mm -hmm. I felt like the horses taught me so much about owning my own personal boundaries. And of course, it's a work of progress. I'm still learning as we all are. But um, I love to really acknowledge the importance of boundaries for our own self-care, which is yeah. something I learned about with my own cancer journey as far as like self-care and learning to say no is so important like right the allopathic and the alternative way and being able to have a voice in that yeah you you really were very powerful and 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 helping us to understand that choice that we have to make yeah. thank you so I'll make sure below everyone below the video here, there's a link so you can get to Tara's ebook on boundaries. It's interesting. People are just kind of starting to talk about it, but Lordy, the horses knew about it a long time ago. <laughs> you get in any herd, you see the mare, I'm sure. Nobody even moves. All she has to do, she doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> Everybody knows that's her boundary. They're so yeah. So they're actually the masters, mistresses of boundaries. All right. Thank you again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. We just love you. Oh, thank you. I love you too. Bye-bye, <laughs> everyone.